55th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Cozell here with Nick Tartaglia. Nick, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. You're, you? Uh, living the dream, man. Stocks are going up. Bitcoin's flying. <laughs> Commodities are ready for a super cycle. There's a lot happening today, right? The Fed yeah. came out the and Fed. said that they're going to start tapering. Exactly, roughly $15 billion a month. Exactly. Inflation is still transitory based on their thesis. We'll see how long that continues to hold and how long the word transitory is supposed to de be defined by. Uh, then there's also the crazy story of the uh, the squid coin that was a couple dollars, went all the way up a couple dollars, and it tanked within a second or a couple of seconds, right back down to fractions of a penny. Well, I think the interesting thing too is just we got to take a step back sometimes and realize the times that we're in. Um, are we at the beginning of possibly a speculative mania? Who knows? But um, I think it's perfect segue into our guest today um, because he has amassed a pretty significant following and to be quite honest i think we've looked up to him as kind of a mentor in a way um, with his following and the content that he's brought to us and i think he's the perfect guest to kind of talk about sort of what's happening right now where's the economy going and what are the next best investable places to throw some money in uh, to hedge against this so-called transitory inflation so uh, without further ado, his ideal day begins with a very intense workout, followed by dark coffee and a couple hours to read anything related to futurism and geopolitics. Since 2011, he has expanded Cambridge House from Canada's leading junior mining conferences to become Canada's most recognizable brand in public venture capital. Uh, today, Cambridge House produces the largest investment conferences in the world in both tech and natural resources and hosts the largest video library of any investment content all over Canada. He sits on the board of the Entrepreneur Organization, a global business community of over 12,000 leading entrepreneurs in 53 countries worldwide. And he's got a pretty significant following all over his social media platforms. I think he's surpassed over 100,000 on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast, Jay Martin. <laughs> What's up, guys? <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. So, Jay, to start off, with um, how did you get to this point? How did you get into finance? How did you build your your network and your empire? What what got you into this whole space? So how did you get to this point in time? Right. So um, yeah, good question. So what I do now is essentially run a media company. You know, I have a variety of outlets. Uh, we're we're strong on video. We run a podcast, publish a weekly newsletter, <clears throat> but it all like the foundation of all of it is that I'm an investor first. And so, you know, the way I think about it um, is that everything I do has to serve my portfolio. Um, I guess through personal experience, I, I don't believe that any, this may not be true, but any source of business income is never going to compete with the capital gain opportunities that I can discover if I'm full-time focused on my portfolio and diving through deals and opportunities and, and networking on that front to make sure my deal flow is strong and all of this. And so the business is really like a top of the top of the funnel that feeds the portfolio. And you know what the business is, it's a YouTube channel very much like this and a podcast like this. And, and I'm super fortunate. I get to have conversations for a living and just chat with, you know, money managers, serially successful investors, economists, uh, politicians, anybody who can help me understand the macro, right? Because I invest early stage, I think similar to you guys. And, and you know, you got to take off a few criteria to qualify an opportunity in the early stage market. And, you know, it's people, it's, it does the business make sense. But also for me, like, I want to make sure the macro is providing a tailwind, right? Because timing is important, depending on your horizon. And 
mine, mine is mine. And, and I don't want to be 10 years early to an opportunity. I'd prefer not to be right. I'd prefer to be a year early or two years early. That makes more sense to me. Um, <clears throat> that's hard to time, but if you can get some of the macro trends that seem to make sense and support that tailwind that would drive some move, some movement, um, and then you can start sourcing the early stage opportunities based on the people. Um, and, and this business, you know, just to be clear, like that was a, a really generous intro, Dan, thanks so much for that. Um, you know, obviously the events, the event part of the business has been on pause for a good 18 months since March of 2020. Um, having said that, we're, we're back at it in January <clears throat> of 2022, and I can't wait to get back to face-to-face -to -face and, and um, you know, real humans again. But this has been a blast, to be honest, just pivoting toward digital assets for the last 18 months allowed us to focus on expanding that network and whatnot. And that is really kind of that huge opportunity right now. I mean, it kicked off really with, let's call it the, the meme stock craziness. And then that translated into the NFT shift. And now NFTs have obviously blown up. But before we get to that, um, maybe just tell us a little bit more about your investment philosophy. Um, I think that's something that Nick and I really uh, like to talk about too, because everybody's got, everybody's their own investor, right? And um, with that comes developing, you know, different investment theses, but what's sort of been your style and approach of looking at? Is there any companies? like specific names of individuals? Like I know, for example, a lot of like macro, big macro strategists, you know, they'll have like a lot of economists that help them develop. So like Milton Friedman or Ludwig von Mises or the Austrian school that gives them perspectives, how to look at certain markets. And also, where's your head? Like who, who helped you with that? That's a good question, man. I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> so a couple ways to approach that. Like, first of all, yeah, there's tons of names that I am very uh, disciplined with. I make sure I, I know what they're up to and try to stay on top of whatever is exciting them. And, <clears throat> and what's most important about that, whatever my pocket is, you know, I, I try to make sure I've got arguments on both sides of whatever issue, right? So for example, you know, if I'm bullish on the renewable sector, I want to make sure I find some bears. If I'm looking at crypto opportunities, precious metals, whatever that is, um, even the inflation thesis, right? Like on my channel, I don't know, maybe two months ago, I had a whole like month and a half where all I did was interview deflationists, right? Because every media headline was like runaway inflation, transitory is bullshit. I got, you know, and so I was like, okay, I think that's right. But let's sit down with, um, you know, Dr. Lacey Hunt, Jeff Snyder, David Rosenberg, you know, Danielle Park, all these individuals who are saying it is transitory and here's why, right? Sensational headlines are popular and they get clicks and people love to talk about them. It doesn't make them right. And here's why they're wrong, you know, and, and it's really valuable to do that. So I, I definitely make that a practice of trying to prove myself wrong by listening to two opinions that, that, that don't agree, right? Creating your own external pressure. Hundred percent, or else we just end up in our own echo chamber, right? Yeah, it's like self-affirming. It feels good to listen to people that are saying what you already agree with, but it doesn't serve you, right? It's exactly. dangerous, actually. It just increases your blind spots. Hundred percent. So that's so, cool. Maybe just talk about that a little bit more in terms of like you know, because like you said, there is so much clickbait out there. There's so many, so much source of information for the end retail investor right now, um, who's actively just trying to build a portfolio how do you how do you weed it out you know how do you weed out all that noise and say okay this is what i'm going to be sticking to i know it's a <laughs> it's a challenging question for all of us to the ask filtering process of your network yeah yeah well first of all i think um <clears throat> like if the headline looks super sensational like it's just packed full of hyperbole you know it's, it's maybe a red flag and <clears throat> that is the status quo in this industry as, as you guys know and 
And so it doesn't make the article wrong, but just be cautious of that, right? Like what's, what's the business that that publication company is in, right? Is it in the business of uh, promoting stocks and then they're trying to write narratives that are, that are um, affirming to whatever business those companies that are paying their bills are in? Like that's a really common business model, right? You know, I get paid by a bunch of cannabis stocks, so I'm going to write a bunch of articles that are bullish on the cannabis market, whether or not you should actually be bullish on the cannabis market. You see that kind of stuff all the time. And so, you know, trying to understand the business model of the publisher is important, right? I think that's very, very important. Um, and then within that, like, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's a ton of great free content out there. A lot of the good stuff is behind a paywall. I am wary of anybody who's selling a hack, right? Like <clears throat> right now I'm, I'm being retargeted, for example, uh, and this guy's been following me around for a while by this uh, financial investment guru online who's promising to uh, give me financial freedom in as little as seven minutes a day with his formula, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> things like that, right? Like if you're selling some sensational- A dream. Yeah, yeah the, the, ha the quick hack, right? Like, let's just be honest, man. The market's not a get rich quick scheme. And anybody who tries to tell you they figured out how it is, is a liar, right? It's a go broke fast scheme or a get rich slow scheme. That's what it is, right? And as long as you can understand that and approach with patience, and due diligence, like that's step one, I think. And, and maybe that's the most important step whenever you're looking at any guru, personality, author, podcaster, whoever is like, approach it with patience and understand that investing is a lifestyle. It's like hitting the gym, right? You don't go once and get ripped. You, you gotta be disciplined year after year, right? You gotta couple that with good nutrition, good sleep. It's a whole thing, yeah. you know? And, and you should think about the market the same, your portfolio the same, right? It's first of all, determine how much time you have to invest in being an investor, because that'll dictate a lot of other stuff, right? Like if you have, you know, an hour a day, like don't try to be a day trader, right? And we've seen this surge this year of yeah. new money in the market, like new retail investors in the market. And a lot of media pundits refer to this as like the dumb money, you know, it's the Reddit stocks and all that stuff. And I don't agree with that. It is the new money, right? Uh, and that's great. It's a whole bunch of people that are suddenly paying attention and trying to take control of their financial future, which is great. Unfortunately, there's a lot of sharks in the water and a lot of bad advice and, you know, TikTok financial advisors, I'd stay wary of those, but, you know, they're out there. But <clears throat> yeah, that's a lot there, man. But, but um, you know, you, you got to find personalities that resonate with you in the sense that, you know, you gravitate towards their content. It's more than just they're giving you information. The reason for that is like, if if you appreciate the person who's educating you, you're more likely to go back for seconds and thirds and fourths. You're more likely to be disciplined and stick with it on a day by day, week by week basis. Whereas if it's a struggle and you're kind of muscling through this information, but you don't enjoy how it's delivered, it's gonna be hard to really study frequently. So that's important as well. It's so true because there's like an inflow of information too. And I actually have to like take, during the working hours of the day, I got to take Instagram off my phone because there's just so much, uh, it's, it's, they're, they're stealing people's attention at the end of the day. Right. So, um, the TikTok influencers too, I mean, that is that sort of next big thing where everyone's just like, that is where the business model is. Right. So I'm curious to know from your side, like you've obviously built a big network. Uh, it's an event driven business as well. The YouTube channel, great content. Um, but where are the other red flags that are coming in to sort of those business models that are out there trying to promote stocks and stuff like that, uh, where you see that there could be some problems going into a possible bear market in the next couple of, couple of years, really? Well, two directions I can take that. 
number one, if, <clears throat> you know, if the, uh, the personality that's providing the commentary isn't sector agnostic, I'm personally a little bit cautious. And, you know, the, the classic examples of this are the, you know, the gold bugs, right. Who are really gold bugs, you know, and I own gold, but I wouldn't consider myself a gold bug. Right. <clears throat> Although it's funny. You, if you do buy physical gold, you tend to get labeled a gold bug immediately. Uh, even if you have 10 X your net worth in real estate, they don't call you a real estate bug, but it happens in the gold sector. The gold bugs are one, you know, Bitcoin maximalists are another, like if you're not sector agnostic in your approach, I think people can fall in love with the assets they cover and whether they mean to or not, you know, this can blind them to the sell signals, right. Or the bear market signals. And right now there's a ton of that, right? There's a lot of, a lot of asset classes that are on a tear. It's actually really hard to find something that's undervalued right now. If you want to put some cash somewhere, where do you put it right now? It's a really tough question to answer, right? Because what isn't overvalued right now? Everything's inflated. Everything's hitting all time highs aside from a few little niche sectors in the market maybe, but <clears throat> it's tough. And so, you know, I, I, I look at the individuals who cover these asset classes and say, is that all they talk about, right? Sometimes this is obvious as being in the name, right? The uh, goldspeculator.com or whatever. Like he's probably not going to tell you to sell your gold because it's bad for his business model, right? He needs <laughs> you to love gold, right? Every day, come back for more, right? And he'll tell you it's it's only it's only going up, right? And when it goes down, don't worry. This is a buying opportunity always, right? It's always a bullish signal no matter what happens. And obviously you guys know that's not the case. Sometimes you take your chips off the table and step away. Sometimes the best trade is patience. Often the best trade is patience, right? Maybe right now, you know, and... And so, yeah, just have a thorough look at, at what, what's motivating this individual and harder to tell, but do they have skin in the game, right? Are they eating their own cooking or are they just telling you to buy, but they're maybe getting compensated in a different way, you know? And so do they, do they act with their wallet and then tell you what they did, or are they just telling you what you should do, you know? And if so, what's that about? If you, if you were to look out into the world now, seeing what you've seen the last roughly two years, the way things were prior to this COVID, you know, um, in, in a event, what do you, what do you see on the macro scale? Like now, short-term, midterm, and like, do you worry as a father, a newly father with kids, you know, like, do you, are, are there issues that you're, that you're looking at or trying to hedge against, especially for thinking about your family and the future of your children? Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm, uh, way more cautious than I was 18, 24 months ago. And that's not, for any like glaring reason that's staring me in the face that I'm like, that thing's on fire. Uh, we all need to be careful right now. It's, it's more that I think we're entering some kind of a new world order. And I don't know what that looks like across so many facets of my life, but safe to say the market has decoupled from logic and the economy. And, um, you know, speculation has entered a completely new definition, right? Like I cut my teeth in the market buying junior gold stocks which is a really volatile market to play it's it's super high risk you know and it takes a certain character and, and a lot of resilience to play that market because of the volatility but it's actually incredibly boring compared to the crypto market it's got nothing on crypto in terms of volatility right and so this new age speculator with thicker skin than any that have ever come before is now you know some of the major players in the market right and and how's that going to turn out, right? Like, I, there's a lot going on right now. And so I guess, you know, what what COVID did to a lot of people is completely rock them, right? You, maybe they lost their job. Maybe they got their income cut off a little bit. Maybe like me, they're an entrepreneur and their core business got shut down. They had to pivot, right? Or recreate themselves. 
but you probably got disrupted, right? In some way. Now, one of two things happened, like maybe, you know, you, you kind of took the passive approach and figured things get back to normal. I'll ride this out. But more likely you said, what the hell's going on? How come I feel so vulnerable and fragile right now? What did I do wrong to get here? I never want to feel like this again, you know? And so is there more gold in my safe than ever before? Yes. Do I hold more off-grid assets than ever before? Yes. More cash? Yes, absolutely. All that stuff, right? I, I think the self-imposed insurance policies are way more prevalent in my life than ever before. And yeah, I got three kids, right? And they're all very young. They're uh, three kids under the age of six, right? So, you know, there's a long runway where, where uh, they're going to be very dependent. And so, you know, you know, you got the insurance policies here and there, but you know, what, what are the, what are the real rainy day funds look like? What's your, you know, what's in the safe and how much overhead can that take care of? Right. Do you have a year's worth of overhead stored somewhere? Right. Like, is that possible for you? If not start with a month, but I think that what I hope is occurring, what I hope occurred over the last 18, 24 months is that people realize they're on their own, you know, and, all of it can be taken away from you, right? But that's not a bad thing because it puts you in the driver's seat, right? It takes away any dependence and reliance. You understand that you're the one in control. You just got to grab the wheel and make decisions, right? And anybody can do that. You can start to educate yourself and take small steps every day, right? A marathon's one by inches. It's not some grand slam. And so, you know, it can seem daunting, but you start small, right? You start small, one little bite, one little bite, one little bite and start to accumulate wealth, that legacy wealth or whatever it is, but look for the mechanisms and, uh, you know, education is the first step. What's your favorite variables to look at on a macro scale? What are the, the, the key variables you like looking at? Sentiment. 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 I, I follow sentiment and I, I, I'm a people driven investor. Like I, I watch people, I talk to people for a living, you know, I, I run a, an event business, which is all about connecting people with people and, and letting people share ideas. And so, you know, sentiment is just what's close to me. So therefore it's my number one mm -hmm. tool, right? I think you gotta play the hand you're dealt mm -hmm. and that's something that I have a competitive advantage in, right? So, you know, whether that's just multiple conversations but watching the conversations on Twitter, I mean, that's the whole reason I run a YouTube channel of podcasts is so I can sit down with all sorts of hedge fund managers and just try to get an eclectic collection of opinions about where's, where are people putting cash right now? Um, cause you'll start to see, um, you'll start to see consensus in certain ideas. You know, if I sit down with 20, you know, serious money managers from across, maybe just the U S say, right. I'm going to hear over the course of 20 conversations, I'll probably hear 30 different investment ideas, but there'll be a few where there's like overwhelming consensus. Like, wow, everyone's really excited about these one or two things right now. They're all trying to look for opportunities in these one or two things right now. And so I can see that tidal wave of cash moving that direction. And, you know, what do we want to do as retail investors is spot that avalanche of cash and put ourselves in front of it. So that's why sentiment serves me. hundred percent. Okay. And I entirely get it because I, at the end of the day, especially since you go down the, you know, if you go, especially go down the Austrian economics and everything, you, you, you learn a lot that economics is driven by human nature, human behavior. So I entirely understand the whole sentiment component because it makes sense to me without human action, there is no economic movement. It goes hand in hand. So mm -hmm. if, I were, if I were to say a statement, I want to know whether or not you agree or disagree. So a lot of, because I write a lot on uh, behavioral economics and I broke it down to that the ecosystem divided to, is broken down to three social entities. You have one is the economic component where people work together, goods and services. You have the political narrative uh, ecosystem where you have individuals working together for democracy, law and all that stuff. And then you have the social environment where people work together for family, culture and whatsoever. 
when I look at all three eco, three social environments, I see pure chaos in all three. And I see the chaos expanding in all three. So in my perspective, when I see people fighting more, cultures being destroyed, uh, depression is up, uh, public health overall, whether it's politically, economically, socially, it's just, it's just falling apart. In my mind, I have an idea that that output produces negative economic outcomes. Because if people produce the economic reality, if we have bad environments with people, then the outcome should be negative. Now, do you think that that makes sense? Or sentimentally looking at things, you think it's off? No, it makes absolute sense to me. I mean, think about think about yourself, right? If if you're operating from a place of fear, uh, how productive are you, right? Not very, right? You're playing defense, right? And you're being cautious. You're not taking big steps, right? And that's, you know, so just scale that, right? That's exactly what you're talking about, right? You talked about, you know, participation in the economy and politics and, and social behaviors. And if they're all in a state of chaos, which I would agree we're, we're there right now, people are scared, right? They're on their heels right now. So no one's stepping forward, not many, right? And, you know, you could look at that and say, so here's a great piece of advice that a mentor of mine gave me. <clears throat> Actually, this is a guy who knows my business really, really well. I've known him for, for a long time. And so when, when COVID hit, he was intimately familiar that I was in the event production business. Very, very, you know, it was like 70% of my business, right? A big chunk, right? So he called me maybe in April of 2020 and he didn't, he didn't ask how business was going. Cause he knew like we had, we had just shut the lights off in that business and switched our focus elsewhere. Instead, he just said, how you doing? Right. And I was like, yeah, I don't know yet, man. I'm just still trying to figure this out right now. And he goes, okay, yeah, I get that. You know, I got three kids. I just bought a house. So I was like, holy shit. And he said, well, right now you're staring at the greatest opportunity of your life. I hope you realize that, you know, and I'm like, okay, is this the cliche pep talk? Like, I don't know if I need that right now, you know? And, um, <clears throat> but essentially, you know, what he told me is in times like these, when the entire world is crippled and in the fetal position, that's when you kick the fucking door down and storm the room before anybody even knows you're there. Your business just got crushed. You just bought a house and you have three kids. If you can figure this out, you can figure out imagine how you're going to feel, right? And that kick in the ass is like so necessary in life sometimes, right? Because I was on my heels, right? Playing defense, you know what I mean? And then, you know, it's the importance of network, right? You surround yourself with the right people. You might get that phone call that wakes you up and it's like, holy shit, I got to get, can I swear on this program? I'm sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. By all means. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> please, Don't please worry about do. it. All right, all right. Please, please yeah. do. I think it's I think it I think it just shows sort of the rawness of like where we're at in life right now, you know, and like where society has kind of moved into a very unique direction. Um, but you're like continue that point because it's such an interesting point. I just want to say one thing before you kind of elaborate on that is just like when everybody is contracting, you gotta focus on expanding, right? I feel like yes. that's exactly what you did, right? Hundred percent. Just tell it, us it, a little bit more there. The, 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 just to go back to the quick thing is when everybody's in chaos, it's because people are, tend to be very micro driven in their behavior where they're not thinking long-term. They're very extremely short-term driven. So that chaos is a byproduct of macro thinking. So the people who start playing the contrarian game where they start thinking long-term, they're going to hedge themselves better. They're going to set themselves up better. They're going to be def more def offensive and defensive. They're going to be everywhere. They'll be more malleable, more flexible, more adaptable. What's evolution but the story of being adaptable and flexible to your environment in order to ensure sustainability? 100%. Yeah. And, you know, that is contrarianism, right? If the world's playing defense, then what are you going to do, right? 
the opposite, right? That's, that's a good start, you know? And, um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I agree with everything you say about the, the chaos disrupting society right now. And honestly, it breaks my heart. I hate it. Right. Like, I think as we all do, it, it's just, it's devastating. And these points of conflict just continue to get deeper. And, you know, so, <clears throat> you know, what I tell people is, yeah, now's the time to step up and take control because people need rocks in society right now. Right. And if you have the resources and the wherewithal, you know, it's exactly to get out of the details and focus on the big picture, right? Get out of the, what do you call the micro activities, yeah, right? Yeah, and exactly. focus on the macro. I mean, that's the entrepreneur that just got kicked in the stomach and now they're lost in the trenches, right? And they're no longer working on the business because they're trapped working in the business and they don't have any foresight anymore, right? This is a such a common trap as a small business owner. You know, you, you get kicked in the teeth and you focus internally. I got to fix internal, internal, internal. And you start working in the business exclusively, never on the business, but you got to have that equilibrium, right? So work in your life, but work on your life, right? Work in your portfolio, but on your portfolio. Where's it going? What's the bigger picture, right? We can all think about that more, I think. We're, we're, so, we're, we're so fixated on like the, the first, like the, the two months ahead. We're not fixated on like the next 10 years. And I think that's where the majority of society really gets caught up. Um, I want to talk about something too on a macro level. And we, we touched base at the beginning of this episode before we, we introduced you, Jay. But um, obviously the Fed, um, nobody seems to believe what they're saying. Um, at some point, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Um, I think it's fair to say that if rates do hit about 2%, that's going to be cause of concern. I'm curious to know what your take is on that and where should, uh, where should investors be uh, you know, allocating capital at this point? Yeah, it's a good question. So first of all, anything the Fed does these days tends to be telegraphed months out. Like today's announcement, today's November 3rd, market didn't really respond. Nobody was surprised. Everybody knew this was coming, you know, can they raise rates? I, I don't know how, you know, eventually maybe, but <clears throat> you know, I, I think they can kick this can down the road a lot farther than we all think. I guess that's what I think. I think we've, you know, we have entered some kind of a new world order and, and any assumptions about what the fed can and can't do. Like, I think you got to burn those. I don't think they serve you anymore. So what does that mean about where I'm putting cash? Right. Because I think that, you know, forecasting anything is probably tougher than it's ever been. But as we said earlier, like it's, it's just really hard right now to find asset classes that I think provide upside. I wouldn't touch the broad market. Not, not, a, not a dime in there, right? I don't have anything in, in the broad market. And I would caution anybody who's in there to just maybe think critically about whether or not you fully understand what and why you're buying, right? Now that's just me, but I, I also employ, you know, the barbell approach to my portfolio. And so it wouldn't fit anyways, even if it looked good, but I like super, super secure long-term assets on on one end and at the other end i'm just looking for those asymmetric bets you know the super early stage highly speculative stuff where i have a competitive advantage you know for example i don't trade altcoins i own bitcoin and ethereum and a couple others but they're long-term holds for me and i have reasons for owning all four i own four coins but I don't trade altcoins because what's my competitive advantage, right? Am I going to get in the arena with a bunch of strangers I don't know, compete at a sport that I've never played before? Like, why would I do that? No, I want to play to win, right? This is our money we're talking about. So, you know, in the early stage venture market, yeah, I have competitive advantage there because 
because of my network, because this is what I do every day, right? I invest the time and energy to be an elite competitor in this sector, right? And that's where I look for those asymmetric bets. But other than that, and what I mean there is like, you're asking, where am I putting cash right now? You know, I'm pretty overweight precious metal stocks, like early stage mm -hmm. stuff, you know, explorers and developers. Um, I am, uh, I'm pretty, you know, I look very aggressively at the health science sector. You know, it's, it's an industry that I think will become the biggest bull market of my lifetime. Everybody I know wants to, you know, feel better, think faster, live longer. The world is your market. And the access to these nutraceuticals, technologies, services, and protocols are becoming better and better and cheaper and cheaper and more accessible every day. And that's allowing new business models of access. So, you know, I'm super aggressive and excited about that sector. It's more of like a passion project for me, and it's really hard to find great investment opportunities, but you can find them. You know, and they don't always end up being what I think they'd be, right? My biggest win last year was a, a baby formula company, nice. of all things, right? But it was a private company that uh, some good friends and I found four years ago, and they had this patent on a on a dairy-free infant formula. My first son had some aversions to dairy, and so the story resonated. But really, it was all about the entrepreneur. She was just an absolute shit kicker, and you're like, I'd bet on you no matter what you're doing, you know, and. Um, and uh, yeah, we raised them a bit of cash. They went public. It's been it's been a great ride for them, right? They're based in Tel Aviv in Israel. But you know, I wouldn't have guessed a baby food company would be my biggest win. But you know, when you're just sifting through, you know, the sectors you feel like you understand, whether that's for me, commodities and and health science slash some sectors of technology. Then you just look for the best people, get to know them. What are you doing? How can I help? You know, and that's that's kind of how I approach it. And which so. It Let's bring it back to your precious metals. Which which of the like which part of the precious metal ecosystem are you playing the most? Are you going more silver? Are you more the gold? Are you mixed? Are you touching other commodities like let's say copper or uranium? Because I know those are popular potential plays also. Well, I I start with the people there. So, you know, a good example is is Marco Day at Oxygen Capital, right? A name that anybody investing in precious metals, if in the early stage sector, if you don't know his name, start there right uh and so what following the people does is it takes the guesswork out of which commodities you should be focusing on mark is a geologist right he's also a career company builder and a very successful one in the resource sector i am not that right i'm not a mining engineer i'm not a geo you know what i mean and so I'm not going to pretend to be back to what's my competitive advantage well i can i can study people right anybody can do that you know what I mean? You can study their resumes, their track records, who else is on the board? What are their resumes and their track records? You know, is Mark just a stud because he's had a few exits or does he surround himself with other individuals who have done the same, right? Greatness attracts greatness. And so, you know, right now I'm invested in everything that Marco Day does. He's one example of a person that I just have an obscene amount of confidence in. And Mark happens to be in gold, silver, and copper. So you'll find me in gold, silver, and copper. But I can apply that lesson to a handful of personalities in the space. Mm -hmm. You know, Ivan Bebek is another one that that I'm happy to call out. You know, he's a younger entrepreneur in the sector, less known than Mark, which is great. If you want to find somebody early, he's already had two exits. So you know how it is. Like you get you get one exit. Was it a fluke? You get two. Okay, now I'm paying attention. You get three. Well, all of a sudden your cost of capital goes way down and it becomes very competitive to get into their deals. So Ivan's another like a one. Technical breakout. Like yeah. On a triple, on a triple uh, technical breakout. Yeah. And Ivan's like, he's, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got a huge ego, but the right kind where he's got something big to prove and he won't let anybody down, let alone himself, least of all himself. And, um, doesn't, doesn't mean he's going to, you know, hit the home run, but 
you know, he's somebody that I'm very comfortable betting on and very excited to bet on. And, you know, exactly what I said about Mark as a consequence, I find myself via Ivan Bebek in gold, silver, and copper right now. So, and I think, especially in the capital market space, it's always about track record. There's no question about that. I think just in anywhere in general, but I find the interesting part in this space, the whole resource commodity space, you're only as good as your last deal, right? Um, and that's kind of the risk that I think everybody's just trying to figure out as well too. Um, you know, the, the, the one commodity right now that I think, and I was screaming about this to Nick about a year ago was uranium. Um, I think literally a year ago, I was saying, dude, this is that one commodity where people have not realized the full potential of it yet. And it's actually a form of, you know, ESG green type of energy. Um, so I'm curious to know what your take is on that. Obviously a more generalist approach. Um, and you know, what, what are you seeing out there that could be a, another unique investment opportunity for, for some of our listeners? Well, uranium is a good place to start. And you know, I, I would, again, I approach it similarly. So when, when I say I focus on the people, right, I could apply that to any sector, but, you know, we started by talking about the macro and the tailwinds. And so step one, I suppose, is like, is it time to invest in commodities? Is it time to invest in precious metals? And if it is, then find the individuals who you think are the best bets. Um, and the uranium sector is is fascinating because I've never seen such a, a loyal and dedicated investor base as I have in the uranium sector. We think gold bugs are crazy, like dedicated. You think silver bugs are the next level? I don't know. From personal experience, whenever I host a piece of content on the uranium sector, doesn't matter how beat up the market is over the last 12 years, people are tearing down the curtains trying to get in the room. It's remarkable, you know? And so that could lead you to believe that if there's any kind of an uptick, that the retail support is going to be really, really strong when it occurs. And that's typically been the case. I mean, the biggest bullish signal that we saw, and I, so first of all, on the energy front, I completely agree. I think it's a very misunderstood energy source. And I think that the narrative has been polluted. Um, you know, and I, one thing that Warren Irwin at Rosso Asset, Asset Management is, you know, he says this very loudly is the biggest problem with nuclear is Greenpeace. The biggest problem with Greenpeace is they're funded by the coal sector. So put that together, right? Why is there so much negative press on the nuclear sector, while a lot of that's financed or at least put out there by Greenpeace, who was financed by the coal, se coal sector. So, you know, follow the money and you'll you'll maybe discover the core of the narrative. But absolutely, it's a renewable sector, small carbon footprint. It's safe, right? It is safe, right? The old generators had issues, the new technology today, we're not using the same stuff uh, we use in Chernobyl. It's not the case, it just doesn't work like that. Um, and you know, when Sprott put up their uranium trust, that was like, holy crap, this is real serious, right? Because I think they started with about 300 million to play with. That ended up being upsized to like 1.3 billion. That set the market on fire. They've only allocated about a third of that cash, right? And so they're just getting started. So the market's taken off and corrected maybe once or twice, you know, and maybe now it's in a bit of a correction, but probably has a long way to run. Um, so that's definitely a sector that, that people should pay attention to. Uh, I want to bring it back home to Canada because obviously being a Canadian, we've got, there's a lot of things going on. We tend to be kind of like, you know, the laggers to whatever happens in the United States, but we seem to be far less, you know, aware of, you know, markets and economics and, you know, things that drive the world because we're, we're we, we, we've been too benef too beneficial from a lot of things in a privileged way. 
that we've kind of disconnected from the rest of the world. We, we, we act a little more privileged, I find, especially in Canada, entitled. So I guess that kind of fuels where we're fueling this very like socialistic liberal narrative where we like take care of dependents and destroy the economy. Like, do you, what do you have to say about what's going on in Canada? Do you have thoughts? Uh, where's your head at? Like, are you worried? You know, because it's a conversation we have a lot, especially among our friends. You know, it's like, should we, do, should we really worry about Canada or is Canada going to figure itself out? Well, I tend to bet on human ingenuity and I would say that Canada is going to figure itself out. Right. That's what I believe. Um, you know, it was interesting. I hosted a panel with uh, Lord Conrad Black, you know, the, the, the press tycoon with Peter Brown, the founder of Canada Ingenuity, Canada's largest independent bank. Yeah. And uh, Niels Veldhaus, who's the, I believe the president of the Fraser Institute, like one of Canada's big economic yeah. things. And this happened to be in January of 2020, right? Like months wow. before the right sky fell. <laughs> yeah. And the, the topic of conversation was how will Canada fare in the next recession? Right. And, um, you know, it was quite, quite a scary conversation to compare how Canada looked moving into 2008 compared to how Canada looked in that moment. It's like, we are absolutely not in any shape to withstand any volatility at all. And, you know, we'll have to see how this plays out long-term. Um, you know, we, we could be doing worse at the same time though. You know, I think that I've always appreciated the passive nature of Canadians when it comes to political issues this year. I feel very different about that. You know, suddenly I'm like, where's our backbone, you know? Um, but uh, it's kind of a sign of the times, right? We're moving towards this, well, we're in this populism trend worldwide and that's showing its face in a variety of ugly ways. And, and um, am, I, am I sticking around long-term? Well, hopefully having said that, my wife's American, my kids have dual and we may pull that option at some point, right? It's definitely front of mind. We were, we were in Texas three months ago looking at property just as a just in case, right? Is we that were, where you would go to Texas? There's a few states that I would choose and, and Texas is probably one. Yeah, I do like Austin a lot. Austin's this unique little like oasis. It's kind of the best of both worlds because it's got this, it's got this kind of, you know, artistic, semi-liberal culture, but it's protected by this Republican state. So you have kind of two forces at play. And in my opinion, maybe you get the best of both worlds. Ca California is seemingly repopulating Texas right now, mainly Austin. So that may change. Uh, but we were in Idaho as well, maybe two months ago. Same, same thing. And it's a very appealing place, right? Very friendly mining jurisdictions there. Yeah, Very absolutely. Mining jurisdictions, and I, I heard there was a there's a town called Bozeman in Idaho that is just booming right now. Like it's it's totally so that's that's an interesting state for sure. It is, yeah. Good culture, great weather. You know, they get all four seasons, but it stays sunny. Not bad. You mentioned something just a little bit earlier, which was just the fact that there are you know just talking about the uranium stuff, but there are kind of special interest groups funding different media pundits that kind of try to push, you know, different agendas here and there. Um, there's a guy that you had an interview with. His name is uh, Gerald Salente. Um, <laughs> he, he is very vocal sort of about, you know, the way the media is kind of portraying this whole COVID situation. Um, how has it affected sort of you, your decision-making as well as what are you kind of doing to educate or just, you know, pr protect the ones that are 
dear, the, the nearest and dearest around you away from sort of the, the craziness that's out there in, in the media at the end of the day? Yeah, I, um, I feel that the best thing I can do right now to serve my community or to do justice to my subscribers and audience is honestly a, a voice of tolerance right now. And I feel very strongly about that. You know, we talked earlier about the social divides and civil unrest and all this stuff and how it's heartbreaking to watch. And it is, right? And, you know, that's somewhat natural to human behavior where we, we, we do find conflict on a frequent basis, but there's a lot of external forces at play that are amplifying these right now and making it very hard to bridge gaps and have conversations between opposing parties. So if I can be one, that's, I feel the most valuable use of my time and energy and my greatest contribution could be that. And, you know, we've, we've become so easily triggered because we gravitate towards, you know, fear media, it triggers us. It triggers that fight or flight response very, very effectively. So we, we click the headline, we go down the rabbit hole, we maybe get deeper into whatever belief system we have and, and that's creating deeper and deeper divisions and you know, it wasn't that long ago that people could disagree about political interests and still hang out, right? We're seeing less and less of that. And that has accelerated, you know, we've, we've seen it, right? And it, it maybe began most publicly, or at least, you know, in my life, when I started paying attention most publicly, you know, maybe 2010, right? During the Occupy movement, right? And, um, I, you know, I actually wrote a letter about this this was when I first felt myself get triggered. I was walking downtown Vancouver, down Howe Street, it's like the financial district. And I got heckled by a bunch of Occupy Wall Street protesters because I was wearing a suit, right? And they're like, nice suit, you fucking shill. And I, I, I reacted to it, right? And I was like, what? What's going on here, right? And immediately they became the enemy in my mind, right? I was mm -hmm. triggered and it worked. You know, they got me, right? And I walked back from my office all fired up about this and like how, you know, it was us versus them and they were lazy and not providing solutions to anything just complaining doesn't fix anything and you know you got to get to work if you want things to change and blah 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 this whole narrative in my head right and you know it eventually dissipated and i realized like that that's not what occurred you idiot like just some words were spoken to you but in context it was it was this uh very antagonistic thing and and that that scenario in cultures all all over has just accelerated right like mm -hmm. Since then, you know, then it was the birth of, uh, uh, you know, the Tea Party and, oh, it was like kind of Tea Party versus Occupy. That was kind of at the same time, right? Those two opposing voices became really vocal. And then very polarizing presidential candidates and Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump in 2016. And, and now extremist groups in the US, right? Like Antifa and QAnon, and those things are real, right? Like that's just the maturation of those, of those initial ideas. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to look at that and say, I can't imagine a scenario where this recovers. Like, how do you how do you come back from that? Right. This trajectory is terrifying because it's just accelerating in different directions and getting more fierce every time it hits the press. I asked this question to Prime Minister Stephen Harper when he was on my show in January. Right. Because if anybody has taken a hard look at this, it's going to be a guy like that. Right. And <clears throat> essentially I asked him exactly what I just said to you. I said, here's what I've seen and here's why it scares me because I can't see any, any ability to reconcile. We're just going to continue to get more and more divided until what's the end result? Some kind of a civil war? Like what happens next, you know? 
And his response was somber, but it was also somewhat optimistic. You know, he grew up in a time exactly like this, right? Where political leaders were actually being assassinated, right? In the 60s and 70s, it was, it got way worse, right? Before it got better, right? And these are, you know, we get wrapped up in these, these, these cycles, right? And it's, it's sometimes hard to remember that most things are cyclical, right? And I don't know what needs to happen for us to come back together again. I do believe it's going to happen, right? I don't know what it's going to take or how long it's going to take. And it scares me in the, in the meantime. So yeah, I hold a ton of Bitcoin, gold and, and multiple passports <laughs> just in case. But like, like I said, I'm, I'm, I always bet large on human ingenuity. I'm an optimist, you know, and, and I'm a capitalist and a humanitarian. And I think it's important to be both, you know, and uh, we're just going to have to ride this one out. But in the meantime, practice tolerance, right? Practice tolerance. And when you hear something that offends you, like, don't dismiss the argument. Maybe just hear that person out. What are they going through, right? Like, what's going on there? And, um, <clears throat> you know, if we could learn to just listen to opposing voices with moderation and tolerance, it gets back to the investment. I mean, it's the same thing, right? We're talking about, like, you're listening to macro gurus. Well, don't yeah. just listen to what's over here. You got to listen to what's over here, too, or you're going to be wrapping yourself in blind spots, you know, sitting in your own echo chamber. You build talking. your own bias, and then you get stuck. Oh. Exactly. That confirmation bias. It's so dangerous, right? It's so dangerous and it's so prevalent and it's so frequently operating in a corner of our mind that we don't realize it's there, but it's driving us, right? That's what we refer to as intuition, but it's like, you know, it's these hidden biases that influence what we consider to be our gut, you know, our gut instinct. But there's a lot of influences there. Definitely. Um, we got one more question because I know time is of the essence here, but I guess from you, from an educational standpoint, I mean, we're at a crossroads between sort of the industrial uh, age uh, and the digital age. I think from a business perspective, the world is obviously at the digital age. We surpassed that. I think Facebook's announcement with Meta and then the Metaverse really signaling Web 3.0. Um, it's clear that the education system is still operating in the industrial age. What do we got to do to break out of that? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I have three kids that are about to enter the education system. And I think about that a lot, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, it's here, here's something that's going to change. And I don't know, but I just feel like it has to. Why are we restricted to the educators that are in our immediate ge geography, right? When I don't get any of my information from people that live in my neighborhood. Right. Yet my kids education from the age of three up until 18 is supposed to be restricted by my district like that doesn't make any sense. And so obviously I'm not going to play by those rules and I'm going to seek out better educational opportunities on a global scale. You know, there's a scenario where teachers are some of the highest paid employees and people in the world because, you know, the greatest professors ride at the top and instruct thousands through virtual platforms. Right. That's probably going to occur, um, you know, in the meantime we're approaching education in my household a little bit different. My, my five-year-old now is in kindergarten, um, but we opted out of the traditional school system. So he's not in a classroom. His entire school is outdoor. There's a little yurt, kind of like a tent where they can go. Cause I live in Squamish. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Like we get four seasons and we get them aggressively. Right. And so, but it builds tough little resilient kids. And, uh, you know, Squamish is a little mountain town, but it's, it's, you know, beautiful wilderness setting. And so every day he's 
learning about, check this out. So on day one, they go, this sounds really hippie, but I love it. They walk into the forest and they find a tree friend. Okay. That's what my five-year-old did on his first day of school. The purpose of that is to learn about cycles, right? Because now they can go every week and visit their tree friend and notice the differences, right? He looks different today. They have moss on them. The leaves have the changed color. The leaves have fallen down. What's occurred here? And then, you know, end of the year, the leaves are back. Like what's occurring here, right? We start to learn about cyclicality, right? Through the natural environment. Like I, when I read the curriculum, I was like, for sure, I'm all in on this, right? They're down at the river, the same thing, watching the salmon spawn, learning about cyclicality. Where do they go? Why do they come back? They come back every year. They come back every four years. Like what's this about? You know, um, it sounds, like thing, it, does, it sounds like those are the type of things you want to fuel the macro thinker because you want to ask questions. You want to think outside. You want to observe sometimes before you make a decision. Because if you make a decision before the observation, well, then you're more likely to make a lot of risky decisions. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of the topics? Like knowing like you want to change the way your kids are learning and you want to take them out from the system. Like what are some of the topics having built out this ecosystem, having spoken to some incredible people, like now that you're thinking about, okay, I have my own kids. I want to, I want them to build their own intellect and their own future. What are some of the topics that you would focus on to make sure, make sure to learn these issues because these things are going to import, it really impact the, the development of your future. Well, I think you got to start with history. I think it's, it's very important. And very and that, that gets us back to like proving that cycles exist, right? Mm -hmm. You can talk about it all day long, oh, it's cyclical, but I don't believe you. Well, okay, let's look at the history of whatever the issue is, and maybe we'll prove this to be correct probably seven or eight times over relatively easily, right? It gives you great perspective and makes the world, I think it helps you understand <clears throat> just the scale of, you know, we get back to our microactivities and microaggressions and all of it, right? When you study history, you realize how, small of a detail you might be dealing with in the grand scheme of things. And, and that's really important because having perspective, getting back to working on your life as opposed to working in it, working on your business as opposed to working in it, you know, you need to step back and, and that helps with that. I found that to be the case. And so, you know, he doesn't just run around the forest all day. We do have academics and reading is number one so that he can study history on his own and chase whatever threads are most appealing to him. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that the, the the education system doesn't talk about money at all. Mm -hmm. You know how to file taxes, let alone what taxes are. You know, and and that's a big miss because and maybe that'll change because I think there is a bigger emphasis today, as a consequence of the last twenty four months, on personal sovereignty. Back to understanding that you're all alone out there, right? But that's good news, right? Because it puts you in control. But what do you have to do if you're all alone? You want to be in control, right? It's, it's just to add on to the whole, you know, the, the lack of um, learning about money and everything in the system. It's, it's funny because if you look at, if you look at power dynamics, like game theory, if you were to empower individuals of the ecosystem to understand money, how money flows, taxes, investing, how to hedge, how to properly think about debt, then I feel that it would take away a lot of the economic power from the central institutions and so there's kind of like a does, and, and it will also disconnect the, the economy from like the Keynesian metrics, which is a state knows state knows best economic framework, which empowers the center again. So I feel like it's it's counterintuitive to the state to empower the individuals economically because then it takes away that power from them to direct and tell us how to go about thinking about things because then they put all their risk becomes much more amplified. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the history of religions, right? Let's keep. 
scripture in Latin so the public can't understand it and they have to rely on a few select people to deliver the message, right? And that's kind of where we find ourselves in the world of finance, right? We graduate with a very shallow or no understanding of how money functions and the language of money, so to speak. And so we're kind of reliant on a few voices that may tell us things. And when something's misunderstood, it's often miscategorized. And, you know, we often end up thinking of capitalism and money is evil. And it's like, why is that? Well, it's misunderstood. Why is it misunderstood? Well, it was never taught in the first place, right? It's this language you never learned, right? And we, that's that's probably going to change. I hope that changes. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so I hope, too. I hope it, yeah, I really hope it does too, because you know, uh, people are going their lives without actually understanding what a credit card statement is, and this just shows you. Like, I worked at a bank for about a year and a half, and like that was the epiphany for me. Mm. Like, just seeing the way the system was designed. So, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that that definitely needs to be talked about. Um, I want to wrap things up real quickly, but. One last question for you. Um, the crypto, the crypto nerds are obviously. We talked about it real quickly, but with the way Bitcoin and sort of the main coins, because Nick and I are actually just invested in the main coins too. I don't look any of the altcoins, or as the meme guys call it, the shit coins. There's too much. Uh, there's too much to, to go over. But where, what, where do you think the potential of this really is, and how does it fit into sort of the society that we, that we have right now? That's that's such a, such a fun question, right? And I don't. It's like. It's, I think the answer is unknown. I think, uh, you know, Bitcoin's what, 13, 14 years old. So it doesn't have enough of a track record to prove anything to me. There's not enough evidence of what it is to tell me what it could be. So as a consequence, I don't honestly know, you know, and it's, it's weird to buy an asset that you don't understand, isn't it? Right. You're like, what am I buying here? Is this a speculation? Is it a trade? Is it an asset? Is it a future currency? Like, because I don't know, I don't know, you don't really have a good like sell strategy. So as a consequence, I just... I accumulate, right? I want a horse in the race, right? I, I, uh, I, <clears throat> I have enough reason to want off-grid assets. I see enough utility in the technology, whether or not it's truly proven to me or not. It makes me bullish enough to to definitely want a sizable position. You know, if you think forward about about adoption in the future, like, you know, what's the valuation today? Yes, it's hitting all-time highs. It's super frothy yada, yada, yada. But like if I were to survey my neighborhood and say, how many of you guys own Bitcoin? You know, what percentage is going to say yes? Not the majority, right? So like, you know, what's that look like? And you talked about Facebook rebranding as meta. I mean, first of all, any entrepreneur who thinks they can't rebrand because they're they're too developed and too big, like, let's just take a minute there because I was so excited when I saw that because I hear that story a lot, right? Like I can't, I can't inertia, right? We're, We're victims of inertia as human beings right? We, we resist change, right? When you see a company like Facebook just decide to change its name, I, I love it, you know, regardless of the, the motivations. But I think it was yesterday or, or this morning, Nike announced they, they um, secured patents on the Nike swoosh, on the Just Do It slogan, on Air Jordans, and on some other item, Jumpman, which you're actually not familiar with what that is. But the patents are on the virtual assets, right? So the virtual swoosh, the virtual, the virtual Air Jordans, Yes, right? So they are prepared. They want to be able to sell sneakers and t-shirts in the metaverse, right? I can guarantee you people aren't going to be buying those things with gold and dollars in the metaverse. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's the currency of choice going to be, right? When that looks, when that scales, right? So, you know, another vote or at least reason to look that direction because, you know, that whole thing is, is I think it's a lot to iron out there, right? The, mm-hmm. the toxic nature of, of social media is very, very real. And I hope that, so are we going to continue to go down that path when we already know how toxic it can be to our mental health and, 
and everything else? Like, well, it looks like we are, right? So, you know, maybe my generation's screwed, but maybe my kids' generation, uh, you know, five, three, and one, by the time they grow up, they'll be able to determine productive versus toxic digital integration of their life, right? Who knows? I sure hope so, but yeah. Jay, this was absolutely awesome. Um, we would love to have you back at some point, uh, maybe when the the crypto craze is kind of in the metaverse. But um, we just uh, Nick and I want to thank you so much for, yeah. for coming on, taking the time to kind of share your insights with with us. Um, where can and the keep, listeners keep find the work? You? Keep continuing that work. I appreciate it. You changed. You you did a lot for me. So, uh, thanks, man. That, that means the world. Honestly, I appreciate that. <clears throat> so, so where, where can, uh, where can the listeners find you, Jay? I'm, uh, I'm Jay Martin, BC. That's J A Y Martin, BC, the letters BC on social media everywhere. And, uh, my show is the Jay Martin show. So that's just search the Jay Martin show, wherever you listen to podcasts on YouTube. Um, and, um, and then our event business is Cambridge house. So cambridgehouse.com. We've just listed our January events. You guys should come out to that. I'll, I'll send you all the details. It's just, it's super fun. So, you know, a lot of the guests that you've seen on my show over the last 18 months, they're they're coming, right? David Rosenberg, Danielle Martino Booth, Prime Minister mm-hmm. Stephen Harper. Yeah. Uh, we're bringing up President Felipe Calderon from Mexico, the most recent president, Robert Kiyosaki. It's going to be rad. It's going to be super mm-hmm. fun. And it's just like a big party. People that love to geek out on exactly what we just talked about, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, 100%. Good place to hang out. So I'll, I'll send you all the information. Love to have you guys there. But any, awesome. anyways, all that stuff's up on cambridgehouse.com and, and uh, the event's January 16th and 17th. Love cool. it. That awesome. Looks awesome. Jay, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the New Thank Jay you guys. Podcast.